Hey, this week, I want to preach a message called Fall This Way. Come on, that's the easy edit right there. I want to preach a message called Fall This Way, and this crowd is just glad and thankful for anybody who is willing to tune in with us and listen along. We are in a series called Maverick, not Top Gun, although it is the best sequel that has ever been written and displayed before man for all time. Maverick, Top Gun, a maverick, according to our definition in this series, is someone who is willing to do things and go through things that other people are not. In fact, I would encourage you, as I did the other services, you might want to just write down and make this a part of your prayer and fasting this week. God, help me to be a person that is willing to do and to go through things that other people are not. Because we're all going to go through those things, but it is those things that determine who we are when we come out on the other side. And we serve a God that no matter the circumstances, he is the Lord and he changes not. So we lean into him no matter what is coming at us through them. Come on, somebody. We have to be willing to go through and to do things in a society where Christianity is going to be inconvenient. I don't know about you. I don't know what it's been like for you to be a Christian in the predominantly Bible Belt South. But my Christian experience up to this point has been pretty convenient. And I believe that we are entering into a time where it is not going to be comfortable and or convenient to follow Jesus with all of your heart. To complacently follow Jesus, come on, to blend in casually to society, sprinkle Jesus in and call that Christianity, that might be easy. But to authentically follow Jesus in every area of your life, to be somebody who is willing to go through things and do things that other people are not willing to do is going to be biblical but inconvenient. That's what's happening right now. We see it all over. So James, the maverick of the New Testament, in my personal opinion, writes this to the church and anybody that will read it. When troubles of any kind, verse 2, when troubles, trials of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. That's an intentional outlook. You do not involuntarily consider issues opportunities of great joy. Verse 3, for you know that when your faith, faithfulness, fidelity, commitment, I'll come back to that, is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Verse 4, so let it grow. All right, I'm done. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. A maverick in this culture, we started this last week. If you missed that message, go catch it. A maverick in this culture is someone who has an eternal outlook. Let me simplify that entire portion of last week's message. To have an eternal outlook very simply means to focus more on Jesus than the things that are going on around you. It means that no matter what's taking place here, I'm going to fix my eyes upon him. And I am going to, in Jesus' name, gain his perspective of my problem. I'm going to get his outlook on whatever it is that is attempting to attack and or overcome me. That's a maverick. 
unorthodox, unprecedented, inconvenient, yet intentional, eternal outlook. I'm going to operate in irrational obedience. It's not going to make sense to people that aren't really following Jesus. In fact, hear me, and I've just seen this in my own life. This is just experience speaking. I don't even have a text for this, but I'm sure there is one somewhere just because it happens so often. When you begin to irrationally obey Jesus, the people that were supposed to support you are going to be the main ones that question you. Because irrational obedience doesn't make sense to people who are not irrationally obedient. Come on. And if you don't really know the voice that I feel like I'm following and irrationally obeying, then you won't question him. You'll question me as I try to obey him, and it will become more difficult. Abram, why are you laying Isaac on the altar? It's irrational obedience. It doesn't make sense to anybody that doesn't know his voice, but when you know the voice of the Father, you do what your daddy says, and you obey irrationally in whatever area he tells you to obey in. I'm not satisfied. Some people, hi, I'm Chris, are really good at obeying God in the area of finances. It's easy for me to give. It's, it's, it's non-negotiable. I grew up this way. I know that the Bible says that if you don't tithe, you rob God. I don't want to be a thief. And so it's easy for me. Look, that's not my money. Go put it right there. Oh, look, I'm excited about an extra offering. I believe with that pastor that whatsoever a man shall sow, he shall also reap. I'm going to plant this. I'm going to give this. I'll sell my truck and give to speed. The, I get excited. And I'll give it. That's why I always have to call her and say, hey, is this God or me? She's like, boy, that's you. <laughs> I feel like we're supposed to give this. Well, that's great because I know what's in our account and you don't. Some people, they're not great at that, but they're good at serving. Guys, I stink at serving. I remembered that we're recording and I, because I almost, never mind. I'm not good at it. That's a discipline. Some people are good at the spiritual disciplines. They're not great at serving others, but man, they are spiritual. You know what I mean? Come on, they look good on Sunday morning. They're going to come here tonight and run circles around this place, but they're not good tomorrow morning. Not coming to 630 prayer, not one time. Nope, not this week. If I was serving breakfast or dinner, they'd be here. Come on, somebody. You feed fat Christians, they'll come eat. You ask them to pray, they're nowhere in sight. <laughs> they're I'm sorry. Spirit, some people are good at the spiritual disciplines, and they're good at the serving, and they're like, well, you know, I can't give much, but I love to serve. Are these people over here, you know, I don't really like to serve, but I'll give. Hold on, listen. Please don't be satisfied with the area in which you're weak. That is the area in which God wants to increase your obedience. And I don't know which one it is. I'm just saying, I know the Lord well enough to know that I should not become satisfied in settling than less for his best because I'm not willing to obey in that place that's inconvenient. It requires irrational obedience. I'm preaching last week's message too much. And finally, it brings about supernatural stability. And normally I would go, okay, point number one for this week, but I wasn't ready to move on. I just wasn't. I felt like that the Lord wanted to continue this message as James continued in this passage. So this week, number four, is to ask and abide. I'm going to read the text, and then I'll come back and preach it. Verse five says, if you need wisdom, ask. 
ask our generous God. It's who he is. He's a generous God. Listen, he's not, he's not, he's not just an angry judge. He, he's not just an all-consuming fire. He is those things. But he's also loving and merciful. Come on. He's not an enabling grandmother either. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but he is, he is a daddy that will help. My children are not afraid to ask me for things. Not because I'm generous, but because they have a relationship with me. In fact, my children aren't afraid to interrupt me to ask me things. Come on, can I get some parents, grandparents help? Daddy, 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 what? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That was inside. I didn't yell at my child that way, but on the inside, what is it? Well, God says, if you need it, you gotta ask. In fact, James goes on to say in James chapter four, you have not because you ask not. And Jesus said, if you seek, you find. If you knock, the door will be open. If you ask, if, not if you assume, but if you ask, it will be given unto you. I'll come back to it in a minute. Be sure he'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Verse six, but then he says, but when you ask, when you ask, not if, but when, be sure that your faith, same word, that we read in verse two. And last week I told you the original Greek has nothing to do with what you think. It has nothing to do with what you agree with. When we think of faith, we think of believing, agreeing, what's going on between my ears. And I've heard some really bad preaching absolutely murder this message right here in this context. And they will say things like, if you just have enough faith, it doesn't matter how sick you feel. It doesn't matter what the doctor said. If you just have enough faith, if you'll sow your seed of $1,000 right now into... <laughs> I've heard them just absolutely murder this text. But you got to have faith without that. Could you imagine if my daughter, my baby's in the room, if she came to me and said, Daddy... May I have, girl, do you have enough faith? Because if you ain't got faith to believe, then you doubt in your heart and you waver like a wave being tossed into. It don't make no sense. No, no, but I may say, hey, what have you done with what I just gave you? See, he says, be sure that your faith, your faithfulness, your commitment your fidelity, it's the same word that we just saw in verse three. Be sure that your commitment to Jesus is in God and God alone. And then the English Standard Version, New King James, King James and NIV all say, and do not doubt and be without doubt. And we think, well, I, don't, I can't not believe because doubt is disbelief, but that's not what doubt is. See, he actually is saying, but do not waver. In what? Let's read the context. For a person with divided loyalty, he's saying don't waver in your commitment. So this doesn't have anything to, this doesn't have anything to do with what's going on in your head. Because I don't know about you, but I have prayed and asked God to do things and move in things, and I know that he can. I just don't know if he wants to. And if he doesn't want to, I want him to do what he wants to do, and I don't want to get in the way. Sometimes I thank God. Come on, somebody. Y'all know that song so well because y'all don't listen to worship music. But anyways, do not waver. Do not waver for a person with divided, divided loyalty, commitment. If your faith is not in him alone, then your 
then your wisdom, like Solomon, will be divided, and ultimately so will the kingdom that God had for you to oversee. Unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. See, loyalty is not about what you think or what you feel. Lord, help us. Please don't follow your feelings. I don't want to fast. Guys, me neither. I like to eat, y'all. I don't, I don't want to get up early and pray. I don't want to go to service. Right, guys, me either. I don't want to serve. I don't want to give. Me either. I'd rather just live for me. Come on, somebody. But my loyalty, my loyalty, my commitment, my faithfulness, it's not about what I feel. I don't follow my feelings. Guys, your feelings will lead you astray. But your faith being built up is not about what you're thinking. It's not about your feelings. It's about who you are committed to. Because verse 7 goes on, and James is trying to give us a warning. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. If your loyalty is divided, verse 8, their loyalty is divided between God and the world. Come on, your, your relationship with Jesus is based on your emotions and your feelings. And, 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 and when you look at your relationship with God, it's not a steadfast, stable path that leads to life. Come on, it is a roller coaster that causes some people to question you, him, and get off at the next stop. Come on, he said that person is double-minded, divided between God and the world. Come on, you can't let success be part of your loyalty. Guys, you can't let social media and mainstream media sway the way that you look at the world more than the Word of God does. I ain't got time to preach all of that. I'm just saying, where is our loyalty? Because the person whose loyalty is divided between God and Fox News, CNN, CNBC, or Newsmax, somebody help me preach today, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, when your worldview is being swayed by 40-hour work weeks and all you're trying to do is get to the weekend so you can relax, my God, we're stuck in the same cycle as the people we were sent to save. And they're unstable in everything that they do. I don't have time to preach the message that I want to preach right there. It just confuses me that the super spiritual people are the most emotionally unstable people. See, but to be born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit is to be empowered by the Spirit of God to be an example to the people that are not yet His. It's not to come back in and seek every week to be refilled for some kind of selfish gain because you can't get out of the parking lot before you lose your temper. Help me. I need to preach on this side. It's not being accepted well over there. Their, their loyalty is divided. They're unstable in everything that they do. It's the exact opposite of what James said just a minute ago when they would be perfect and complete and they would need nothing. So if your loyalty is divided... If you're going through a trial, if you're going through a temptation and a struggle, James says in verse 5, if you need wisdom, ask. Ask. I think that the church needs to pick up a mantra, a mantra of authenticity. 
And, and you might want to write it down and then actually say it to somebody this week. I need help. I need help. Stop pretending you know what you're doing. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm, I have no idea why I'm going to be forced to pay for all of these things all at the same. I don't know why all this financial stuff is hitting this house all at the same. God could have spread this out and helped me be comfortable in that which I was saving. Why does he keep sending so many people all at once into buildings that we don't even have? Because I have seen God move in his provision. I have seen God move. Listen, if five years ago, I had somebody tell my bride that they saw cancerous spots within her. And so we did finally what we should have done as a first response. As a last resort, I finally came to a place where I anointed my hands with oil, laid it on the head of my bride, and rebuked anything that is not of God inside of her physical body. Because if I believe in a God that can save a soul, then I believe in a God that can heal a body. And I laid hands on her, and she fell to the ground in the unction of the spirit when she got back up she was healed and recovered and never heard the word again as long as we've been in ministry now I'm not saying that I might not get sick or she might not get sick or we might not get sick and we're not going through this health and wealth gospel that's not what I'm saying what I'm saying is I believe in a God that can heal a body he can heal a soul he can heal a spirit he can fill us in every way that he wants to and his provision is only subject to what we are willing to obey in because if I was hearing that word I wouldn't care about finances but right now that's what's holding me down and that's where I need to see God move. where do you need to see God move don't be unstable don't be disloyal don't let your loyalty be divided just ask just ask and then allow God to answer however he wants to answer why does it seem like to be open and honest feels so unholy? Because somewhere along the way, we as God's people learned how to hide what is happening in our lives and put on a facade of faith and hope nobody finds out. But the Bible says we should actually be the exact opposite do you know one of the main reasons i believe this generation is so rebellious towards church and towards preaching and towards the gospel and even jesus himself it's because so many self-proclaimed sanctified people put on such a facade that they thought you had to be perfect in order to be in a pulpit and the preachers in the pulpit allowed the people to think that they were perfect instead of just being real and authentic this generation is rebelling against so-called perfection Perfection, and they are pursuing authenticity and somebody who was genuine in their faith and genuine in their belief. Somebody who acknowledges where they are and ask for help. Being open and honest. My friend Philip D says it this way. He says, if you can't name it, you can't navigate it. Why do people fail? Because they're not willing to be honest. The Bible says, and this is not in your notes, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. You can write it down and highlight it later. Fools think their own way is right. A fool thinks their own way is right. But the wise, 
The wise listens to others. Hey, let me say it this way. Acting like I'm not sick is not going to make me well. I've got to acknowledge where I am. Let me come down off the preaching mountain and make you laugh a little bit. Um, just as an example, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go preach for one of the spiritual fathers and mentors in my life who have just adopted us along and are there and available for us. Pastor Don Norton had us over in Houston. We went over a couple of days early just to spend time with the family. And I ended up paying for a lot of things that I didn't really care about going to. We call that vacation. Praise God. Um, and I... It's cost me a lot of money to make memories. Come on, it's part of our family values. We made memories. I pay in for things. I go to an aquarium. Woo! Okay, so we go inside, and we round the corner, and, and we go to the glass, and just between us and the glass is some water, and you won't believe, on there on the other side, penguins. There's penguins. Look at the penguins. The penguins are so cute. How they, you know, it's just so what they do. And then they dive in, and it's, oh! Take pictures. I don't want to take pictures. Take pictures. I'm taking pictures. Look. Hey, look, the penguins. Yay. Not even Adam anymore. Just look, the penguins. We stay there. I was like, guys, they have other things. No, but look at the penguins. I know. We can come back around. Like, we'll do the whole thing again. I paid enough money to come through twice. Come on, somebody. So we made it through the aquarium, and then we go to the rainforest in South Texas. It's not normally... The place that you would go to visit the rainforest. So, but this rainforest, it's inside. I don't know what you do when there are birds flying around in a building, but that's not a place that I have predominantly learned to be comfortable. Normally, if there's a bird in a building, one of us is getting out. If a bird flies by and does what birds do, and I don't like it, I shoot the bird. That is frowned upon indoors. I don't know if you knew that. People don't like that. Here's the birds and the rainforest. I mean, it's 110 outside. It's 104 with 200% humidity in the rainforest. There's birds and there's supposedly a lemur we still hadn't seen and a sloth. I don't think that's even really there. I think they lied and put up a sign because we hunted every limb in that place. There's a monkey. Oh, my goodness, it's a monkey. I can show you a picture of a monkey. Anyways, guys, I'm hungry. We got all these birds. There's some ducks in a pond over there, like, feeding in the rainforest. I'm like, Phew. That's lunch right there. I'm about to wring that thing's neck and eat dinner. Come on. I don't watch ducks swim. That's not, it's not fun to me. I watch ducks swim around in a gravy. Come on. So I like to, anyway, so I, I'm looking, I'm thinking, man, I am so hungry. And so I, around the corner, and you can see everything in the rainforest, and I walk up to this sign, and I want to see on that sign, the place that I know I need to get to. And so I walk up to the sign, and I look, and I evaluate, and there's an X on that sign, and it says, you are right here. Praise God, I'm right here. This is where I am. But in order to get to where I know I need to be, I needed to take the time 
to stop and acknowledge where I was. I think that God wants us to be honest, accountable, open, and acknowledge where we are because it is not until we acknowledge where we are that he can take us to the place, come on somebody, where he wants to feed us, where he wants to fulfill us, where he wants to show us things that we have not even considered up to that point. But the only way that we're going to get there is if we learn that we need God to intervene. He is the one and the only that we go to not once a week come on somebody not two or three times a month but every morning every all day long and every evening we need him to help us see where we are so that he can show us where he wants us to go but not only do we need him but we need one another we need one another it is not holy to hide. Well, preacher, you don't know what happened. I went to this other church and I began to be honest and I got in a small group or I, I, one time three years ago, I was in a freedom group and I shared something and they started telling everybody and calling it a prayer meeting. Well, that's between them and Jesus. They will be held accountable for that. Come on, but I will be held accountable for whether I am obedient in the area of transparency and accountability. Come on, somebody, don't chop the tree down because there's one bad apple. Don't burn the orchard over one bad seed. Come on. Do you continue to do what God tells you to do? They will be held responsible for what they do, but I will be held responsible for what I do. And the Bible says, and it was James that said it. He said, we need one another. We can confess our sins to God, and he's faithful to just and just to forgive. That's what John said. But James says, we need to confess one to another. We need to pray one for another because along with forgiveness comes healing because James knew that his brother said that in the beginning God created us and he called us good, but then he looked at Adam and said, it is not good for you to be alone. We need one another. The Bible says bear one another's burdens. Come on, get into groups. Get real. If you've been going to this church for more than five years and you're not discipling somebody this semester, shame on you. I ain't trying to make anybody mad today. I'm just trying to open somebody's eyes to the fact that if you say that you're a disciple, then you're supposed to be making disciples. And if you're not, then you're not. Come on, our loyalty is divided. We can't just ask. We have to also abide. We have to abide. He says, but when you ask, in verse 6, ask, be authentic, be transparent, be sure that your faith, your commitment, your loyalty is in God alone. Man, the antithesis of doubt is faith. You with me? If, if I want to combat doubt and disbelief, but even doubt, then I need to increase faith. If I increase faith, then just as a byproduct, I decrease doubt. Don't spend your time decreasing your doubt. Spend your time increasing your faith. The Bible said there's one way that faith comes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of the Lord. Now listen, 
many people who say they are born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit, they're, they're tongue-talking, come on, they're spirit-filled, they'll give, they'll serve, they'll do what they can, when they can, where they can, but the only time that they increase their faith is when they listen to a word that God gave somebody else. The only time that they increase their faith is in a service with a whole lot of other people. And really, they only do that two or three times a month, and they call that being faithful. And we wonder why our doubt is so high and our faith is so low. At what point in following Jesus did the things of God become optional? Hang on, watch this. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to persecute anybody. I'm glad eh, almost everybody is back. We're getting into August. Some people have started school. Some people are about to start school. And I thank God that summer's almost over and people are going to come back in and, and fall back in. But I, I can't help but acknowledge my mentality as I was growing up. Why does it seem that baseball is mandatory? Why does it seem that football is mandatory, that gymnastics and dance, have I got you yet? Why does it seem like a 40-hour work week? I ain't never heard somebody call into the office and tell them, hey, I'm sorry, I can't come in today because I went to church yesterday. But I see people sleep in on Sunday because they got to get up and go work on Monday. Everything else is mandatory. Success is mandatory. Cable is mandatory. Internet is mandatory. I ain't never seen anybody take out a loan to support missions. Come on, my God. But to get a bigger house, a nicer car, a boat, a side-by-side. -side. Come on. Hunting season's mandatory. I can't get no help in the quiet church today. Fishing is mandatory. Me relaxing and resting. Those things are mandatory. But the things of God are optional. And our doubt is so high. And our faith is so low. Pastor, why do you think that they still see signs and wonders and miracles in Africa and Asia and India the way that they do? Why do we hear testimonies and stories of missionaries seeing the supernatural move of God, but it doesn't seem like it happens anymore? Because we don't need him like they need him. Because if he doesn't move on their behalf, then they don't have what we have, and they can't lean into the comfort of the things that they've created and call it divine. We've got to get back to a place where we're not, and I'm not against, I'm not against athletics. I'm not against academics. The Bible says, do whatever you do with all of your heart is unto the Lord. I'm for those things. But as a supplement to what God is doing. See, we do what we want to do and we supplement it with Jesus. And that's not biblical Christianity. That's American mentality. That's convenient Christianity. But I'm telling you, there is coming a day, and it is coming upon us quickly, where we will not be able to conveniently and casually blend into this culture and call it Christianity, or our loyalty will be exposed. We've got to fall this way, to ask and abide. Do not waver. Do not just listen to somebody else share the word of God for an hour or two a month and then wonder why you are starving spiritually. 
Do not make the things of God optional and everything else mandatory. Flip the script. Make the things of God mandatory and then supplement the spirit-filled life with the things that God wants to use to reach the people around you. Commit your faithfulness to him and him alone. Because the Bible goes into verses 9 and 10 and it talks about the poor being humbled under God and the rich being humbled under God. Because we, if we're not careful, we're nothing more than a flower in a field that's scorched by the sun. We rise up and we fall. And life, hear me friend, life is too short to get stuck in this cycle. We're not even waves being tossed about by the wind. We're just a bunch of people stuck in a whirlpool, spinning around in circles, hoping that Jesus will come and rapture his believers. I know he wants to do so much with us between now and then. But he needs us to not just ask, but to abide. Worship team, come help me. Put this jet back on the platform of the ship today. Verse 12. The Bible says, God blesses those who patiently endure. And, I, and I've overpreached it, but please don't miss this point. He goes on to say, enduring the testing. And then he adds this in. And. See, because for the last 11 verses, we were talking about trials and troubles, Right? That's what the word of God says. And James, for the last 11 verses, he has been addressing what we need to do whenever things come upon us. But he's about, come on, hone in. James is about to address what we should do when things come from within us. But here was, here's what was interesting to me as I studied this text. This is one word in the Greek. It's the same word that was used in verse 2 in regards to trials and troubles. And then James begins to explain and expedite over 11 verses to us what it means to go through a trial. But now he is about to transition and address the other side of understanding in regards to this one word that in the Greek means an experiment. Did you know that in the eyes of eternity, from the perspective of Hades and the angels in heaven, we are going through currently an experiment where our faith is being tried, our faithfulness is being tested, and God is also about to reveal how to endure the temptation that comes from within us as well. It's one word with multiple meanings. And James addresses the things that you can't do anything about that come upon you. And now he is about to address the things that you have control over and of, even though it comes out of you. I want to speak to this because he says, when you endure this, 
you will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And I don't know about you, but even more than, than my crown, I so desperately want the people around me to receive the crown that God has for them. So number five, in the last two weeks, fall this way, fall what way? Fall, fall forward. Fall this fall as we head into it. Come on, fall forward. It's why we're gonna fast and pray because we're unintentionally we'll fall, we'll fall away. Unintentionally, we won't fall into righteousness. Unintentionally, we'll fall into sin. But intentionally, we can fall, come on, into the arms of Jesus. Intentionally, we can fall in love over and over again with the one who gave his life so that he could have us. Watch, James says this in verse 13. Remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, oh, you got to be careful. Do not say, God is tempting me. I've heard it said. I think some demonic pop artist even wrote a song that said something about being born this way. I have heard people, I just don't understand why God made me this way. I've said it myself. I am no better than you. I need him. I came to tell you, God did not make you that way. The world made you that way. Fallen people in a fallen world. That made you the Adamic nature doing what he wanted. The nature of Adam doing the one thing that God told him not to do and or standing by idly and allowing his wife and his woman that he was responsible for to lead the way in doing what she wasn't supposed to do. It is that inside of you that needs to be dealt with and you can't deal with it by yourself do not say James says that when you're tempted God is tempting me no he's not temptation God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else verse 14 I don't have time to explicate all of that that took place in the book of Genesis, you just got to trust the word of God at sometimes and rebuke the devil and the thoughts that he puts in your head to try to discourage you and distract you as if you can't overcome the things that he's throwing at you. Verse 14, temptation comes from our own desires, comes from within us, which entice us and drag us away. I'm going to close with, with two pictures today. I'm going to show you two things. One, I want you to see the process that James is showing us right here. That when temptation, temptation is like a trial. You can't help that it comes unless you can. Like you don't have to scroll on social media aimlessly until you compare your spouse Come on to the highlight reel of somebody else's spouse. And instead of going to sleep thanking God for the people and the person, come on, instead of going to sleep and giving God thanks for the possessions and the material and the health that you do have, come on, you begin to compare what you have in reality to what other people are willing to show you in their fantasy. And then all of a sudden you're discontent and you're tempted. And then you begin to meditate on that temptation. That's how this thing happens. 
You didn't mean for it to come, but now it's there. It's in your face. And you have an opportunity of what you're going to do with it. Am I going to choose to rehearse this temptation or am I going to release it in the name of Jesus? And most people begin to rehearse it and they meditate on it. And that's why God says, look, I don't care if you go to yoga. I don't care if you stretch. I don't recommend lighting candles to Buddha. I'd be very careful what you play in the background. But I do know that we are supposed to meditate on the word of God day and night. And David meditated on the word of the Lord so that he would not sin against his God. But what you meditate on in your heart comes out in your habits. And you begin to conceive that temptation. It, it becomes like a wound or an infection that is not dealt with properly. And then it begins to grow. And God help us, it will fester until you begin to actually move toward that desire. And then one day you act on it. And then, watch this, this is what happens. Look, I'm exposing the enemy. You act on the temptation, and then you do it again because you got away with it. And you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again, and you keep doing it because you're not asking for help, and you're not being honest, and you're not being accountable, and you think that you're getting away with what you're acting on, but really the only thing that is happening is you are building up a wound that the devil is waiting until the perfect time to expose in front of everybody. And then you're martyred and you're destroyed because you meditated on the wrong thing. So James says in verse 16, don't be misled. Look, you've been warned. If you go to this church and you're not being discipled, you are without excuse. Don't be misled. If you are not growing in your relationship with God as a part of this family, you are choosing not to grow in your relationship with God. Don't be misled. This is not about you just repeating a prayer. That's just the beginning of what God has for you. This is about you growing in your faith and your faith being completed and you being perfected and you come into a place where you need nothing but Jesus and his word and his people in order to accomplish his will. Don't be misled. Verse 17 says, whatever is good and perfect. See, every good gift comes from above. The Father of heavenly lights pours it out upon you. He never changes, and he does not cast a shifting shadow. What is it saying? It's saying, come and place your loyalty in the God that doesn't waver. All right, here's the close. My first closing. It's like football minutes. Verse 18 says, he chose to give birth to us. Well, did I choose God or did God choose me? Yes. Don't get stuck in the box. The answer is yes. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, I, Paul, slave of Jesus, he chose that. Chosen by God, God chose him. They're both right there. And people are going to split churches and argue about whether we choose him or he chose us. When Paul opened the stupid book and gave us the answer, he told us, like in the first line of the letter, and then we're going to argue about chapter 6, 7, and 8 when Paul answered it in verse 1. God, he chose 
to give birth. See, that's why you're supposed to bring your own Bible. You never know what's going to happen if you had your Bible open to the verse instead of just trusting I was going to feed you. <laughs> Pick up a spoon, somebody. Come on. Look, we got no signal. Y'all going to have to look this one up on your own. God, who is so good, chose to give birth to us by giving, oh my goodness, I mean, you just can't get through the Word of God without hearing about giving. He gave us His Word, and we, out of all of creation, I hope so dearly this comes back up. If you don't have it, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I'm in James chapter 1, verse 18. I think you need to open your iPhone or your tablet, your device, or borrow your neighbor's phone to do something besides scroll on social media because the last phrase of this verse says, His prized possession. His prized possession. Yeah, his, his prized possession is being tried and tempted. His, his prized possession is going to face trouble. Come on, saints of God. But it is time that we understand who we were created to be in Christ, why he came and did what we could never do, because God does not want you to just be overcome by the trouble and overcome by the trial. I've done this three times a day, but I'm going to give you all I got one more time until I take a power nap and come back and praise Jesus with reckless abandonment tonight. It is time that we stop focusing on our problems and our issue, and we begin to fix our eyes upon our God. But the the only way that you're going to overcome the attack of the enemy, the only way that you overcome the trial of the devil and or the temptation that comes from within you is if you get back in this book and you get this book back in you. Because when you get this book in you, you remind the devil and you remind circumstances and you remind temporary pain and problems and people that come with them and bring them that your weapons of warfare are not worldly or carnal, but they are divine in power and so you go back to the campus next week as a student as a teacher as a coach come on you go back to the office tomorrow as a son and a daughter of God anointed because you're in a week full of fasting and prayer and you know that the Bible says in Isaiah 58 that when you fast and when you pray the light will break forth like the dawn and the healing will spring forth speedily and your righteousness will go before you and your glory the glory glory of the God, the, the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be your rear guard. So you walk into that place and you demolish every argument and lofty opinion that sets itself up against the knowledge of your God. And when the trial comes, when the temptation comes, when the thought begins to manifest in your life, you take that thing captive in the name of Jesus and you make it obedient to the one that you are following with all of your heart. You fall this way. I want to paint this picture because I have sweat out of this shirt today. It's, it's really nice and it's airy too. It's, my wife bought it for me. That's why I look like I came off the Godfather today. It's, two words will save your marriage. You ready? Yes, ma'am. All right, let's go. Here's the picture. Here's the picture I want to leave you with because I got cramp right here. I have three children, and Megan had them for me, but they're mine too. 
and I love them and, 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 and I love every season. It, they're all fun. And then, and most of the time they love me too. Sometimes they even like me. And I'll ask them, hey, give me a hug. Tell me good night. I love you. Give me a hug. And, you know, that's just kind of, it's like hugging a limp noodle. <laughs> me a hug. Because it, because it seems like at some point, if you're not careful, that you can get in such a routine of Christianity that you come to a place where you take for granted the glory and the awe of who God is and what he's done. And I'm saying fall back in as we go into August and September. I have five nieces and I have one nephew and they're all still young enough to express their love for me without concern of what anybody else thinks. That's why Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto these. And when I come into the room, I just did it between services. I look down. I can't do this to my older ones because they're, they're maturing in their relationship. It's just at a different level. But I look down at my, my little niece, Karis, little fat, fluffy, oh, she's, or my youngest brother's daughter, Aniston, or Mason Douglas, and, and they call me Unc C, because it's easier to say than Uncle Chris. And for some reason, children like to replace C-H with P, and so I don't get called Uncle Chris any, anyways. I don't know why that happens. I'm just telling you. That's just the way that it... Like, that's not my name. We got to come up with something else. <laughs> and I asked Mason Douglas, because I, I don't get to see him very often. He's Marshall's living Fairhope. He's coming to preach for us for momentum this year, and I just think it's cool, and I'm in charge, so I asked him to do it. Um, but Mason Douglas, he's three years old, and I was like, Mason, who am I? Because I'm trying to, like, I want him to know, right, who I am. I said, Mason, who am I? He said, you my, you my daddy's brother. And I was like, that's accurate. My man could probably say Uncle Chris at this point, to be totally honest. But his little sister, Aniston, she's just tiny. And I lean down, I was like, hey, or Karis, or Kinley, or Camry. I lean down, I was like, hey, Campbell, come see me, come see you. Just whatever I can do to get him to come. Guys, what else does God have to do to get you to come? And I love their response almost every time. They lift up their hands. And they run. Well, they toddler jog. You know what I'm... And then right as they get to you, ever seen a child? Right as they get to you, they just... And if you don't catch them, they will land right on their face and you will be the worst uncle in the history of uncles. Because God's not an uncle. He's a perfectly holy heavenly father and when you come to him come on and you ask and you abide and you fall forward with arms wide open he catches you he will lift you up and as long as you stay with him he will carry you to the places that he has for you fall this way 
forward into the arms of your Savior.